Hail, hail folks. Good evening and welcome along to the Monday night show of the Endless Celts podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony and delighted uh, to be joined. We're looking very resplendent tonight Endless Celts hoodie. Captain of the ship, Stephen Tomlinson. How are you doing, mate? All good, mate. All good. Had a fantastic weekend. Spent time with the kids. Spent a lot of money over the weekend, but you have to have fun. You have to live a little. And you did mention one thing. Like, mm-hmm. we can see... We've got some hoodies made. We're not going to push it on people and be like, here, you have to buy this, you have to buy that. I just want to show a wee up close uh, photograph of it. Ross kindly got these done for us. There's a jumper there with our logo on it, and there's also a T-shirt. The T-shirt's the prize that Stephen Coulthard's getting for winning the Super 6 from last season. So that's on his way. We're delighted about that. With a few other bits and pieces maybe in, in and around that. And Anthony, I think you, should, you would agree with one thing with me, buddy. It's a uniform, so simple in its style, isn't it? <laughs> so, so And yet, so stylish as well, it has to be said. Uh, it's absolutely looking the part, mate, as I say. And um, just if, if Stephen's, um, if he watches in live or if he, if he listens back at some point, um, it was just like, you know, Stephen, I'm responsible for picking your um, T-shirt up, so I shall do that at some point uh, this week when Ross gets back his holidays and um, I'll message you on uh, Messenger and we'll get I am. Um, a suitable time for me to drop it off to you um, at some point. So well done, and as I say, hopefully we don't have any any issues with it going forward. But I don't think there's. Uh... Just to address one thing, Pam was saying that that merchandise is fab. Look, if anyone is interested in a t-shirt, whatever, just hit us up. And it's the same thing with if we get if we get enough interest, we can do the bulk order and things like that. If that's something you're into, but for now it's for. The group and we're delighted with it. Ross got it done and we're absolutely buzzing. That's comfy. This this hoodie, by the way, is so comfy. So comfy. Right. Uh, like I'm looking forward to it. next time when I'm on. Hopefully, but I'll have been up at Rossi's by that point and I'll have uh, picked my one up. So I'll have it on for for the next time. But yeah, absolutely looking forward to it. Now I've got to um, I've got to give you a bit of praise here, Stephen, because um, obviously um, it is the international break. Um, which I know you're not too much of a fan of in the first place, but um, of course, Ross is on holiday, Granny's unavailable, I think Wally's out at a gig uh, tonight as well, so all the kind of, the other resident Scots are, are, are posted missing, but you've very soundly agreed to step in and talk about some of the good things that have happened for the uh, Scottish national team over the, the weekend, because obviously folk um, wrote Scotland have qualified, obviously we were disappointed to lose to... Spain on Thursday night and sort of dubious circumstances that we'll, we'll kind of chat on in a, in a little bit. But last night, due to um, the result over in Norway, the Norway lost 2-0 to Spain, um, which meant that both Scotland and Spain have now automatically qualified with, with two games to play. Um, so it's a very un-Scotland-like feel to qualification with um, you know getting there with, with so, so much time left. Um, regardless of Anything else, it's a, a great achievement. Oh, 100%. I, I wish it was something sadly within the Champions League group, but, you know, you <laughs> <laughs> have to let that go away. But, but it, it's like with anything with Scotland throughout the years. I mean, you said there, look, I make no secret, me and international football aren't the best of mates. I'll watch the tournaments and I'll have a beer and, and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I have been kind of watching Scotland over the course here in, in the qualifying campaign and, They've done fantastically well. I think that Spain was their first defeat in however many games, wasn't it? Something along them lines. Yeah. It was, it was yeah, what an incredible was, uh, run. And played five one five in the run up to the to the Spain game, and I think that's what Steve Clark was kind of trying to address today because I think there was a couple of, you know, 
absolutely classically in the um, English dominant media. Um, although having said that, there was absolutely no mention it today on Simon White, uh, Simon Jordan, and Jim White show on Talksport. You know, Jim was Simon uh, White. <laughs> Simon White, yeah. Um, you can tell it's it's been one of the days, eh? But um, oh man, yeah, Jim. That's Jim a He's normally, you know, first to talk about Scotland whenever there's something negative. And yeah, the minute, you know, we've actually qualified for a tournament, he seemed more interested in talking about that Logan Paul KSI nonsense for the weekend. But what can you say? He's a little Englander, as we all know. Um, and we know what side he, um, he's bread buttered on up here as well. With but I think that goes back to like the, we talk about it a lot in this podcast, is the ignorance that they have towards football up here and, and the quality of football that we can produce. I mean, what they forget as well, most of the players Scotland have now play in top leagues, whether it be the Premier League, the Serie A, our captain, Cal McGregor's and the best of his game at the minute. He's playing at a very high level. And it's like, you have John McGinn, who's Boston at Aston Villa. You have players like Lyndon Dykes, who's just a rough and ready forward. Ryan Christie was playing in the Premier League. Kieran Tierney, one of the best left-backs in the world. Andy Robertson, the Champions League winner. So I don't know how they could be continue to be ignorant and continue to kind of downplay Scotland's chances. I mean, if you look at the other home nations, you look at uh, the North of Ireland, as people like to call it or whatever, um, the Republic of Ireland, both very average teams. You look at Wales, I think they've punched above their weight for many years, but that's obviously down to a good organisation, which I think Steve Clark is very good at with Scotland. And then you, you compare them teams, I think Scotland probably has the best squad out of them all, bar England. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's littered with talent. I mean, the left-back position... The right back, Aaron Hickey's had the player to position just to get into the team. So, I mean, there, there's there's different things here. And the likes of uh, Simon Jordan, the likes of Jim White, you know where their agendas lie. The talk sport viewers who mainly listen don't want to hear them talk about how well Scotland done. And Jim White's going to bend over and take a shaft in because he's not going to stick up for it. And he'll he'll listen to whatever Simon Jordan's telling him. So, at the end of the day, Scotland, ha- they've done a great achievement. I think this is two consecutive Euro, Euro campaigns they'll be involved in. Which is, is it? so it, which this is, is they've only ever done that once before they qualified for Euro ninety two and Euro ninety six um respectively. But that was um, it went from Andy Roxborough was manager um in ninety two and he left after that and Craig Brown took over. So Steve Clarks actually became the first um Scotland manager to qualify for two consecutive um Euros. So a little bit of the history books there um for him already. Um when you were saying there about the the, the Irish side, Stephen, both um, both the Northern Ireland and the the Republic, um, one of the things we were chatting about today, and you might be able to give us a little bit more insight on. It. I know you're not really a, a fan of either of the two, but you know, a bit closer to home, um, you know, Michael O'Neill and Stephen Kenny. Um, obviously, Michael O'Neill had a lot of great success um, in his first stint as Northern Ireland manager. Do you think maybe he's He's realised that things have regressed quite a bit since he's had to, to to take up the reins a second time, and obviously as well one of our own favoured sons, Martin O'Neill, as well was uh, you know Republic Ireland manager for a long time. He was also a guest on on the show today, um, talking about you know Stephen Kenny's position now. Do you, do, can you see just with the, the poor results that perhaps, especially with, for the Republic, that Stephen Kenny's position might be under threat? I think starting with the the Republic and. For anyone confused, by the way, I want to say Ireland, but we're talking about two separate football teams, right? So we'll have to have to understand that point. Uh, P. O'Neill occupied six counties. Is right, big man, but we won't get into politics in, in, in this podcast right now. But, I mean, the, the, the way I look at the, the Republic, Stephen Kenny came into a job with a, players with a lot of potential, players with 
young players. I think it's um Corvo knows a lot about the, the the Irish team, and he always points out different players to me when, when we're on the podcast. And you look through look through the spine of the team, like Shane Duffy, Jeff Hendrick when he was playing, experience. I think all that's kind of dropped away now. It's all younger players coming through, and I think that was one of the plus points with Kenny because he was he came up from the under twenty ones, I believe, promoted to the top job, and people are thinking he could fill that void by making the younger players make that step up even quicker. But for me, the Republic for many years have been playing with no no identity. It's like G- Giovanni Trapattoni for me. It was just chaos football. You get it hoofed into the box and not, never really playing the individual styles. Do you know what I mean? They're always thinking about the result, thinking about getting that point before they put the football in there and try and play what they're comfortable with. And I think with the personnel they have, I mean, that young keeper plays for South Bazzuni, went, went from City to Southampton. He was playing in the Premier League last season. He's a brilliant keeper. Um, there's all, all different types of players in that team who I think are more possession-based football. One touch, you move it. And I don't think Stephen Kenny's playing to that. I think after this campaign's done, he'll be away. I think we're all expecting that. I think most Republic supporters are not going to say I'm an avid Republic of Ireland football supporter. I'm not. I just know wee bits about them. Liam Scales has uh, been playing recently. Maggie Johnson, according to the comments, scored tonight against the Walter. So he started, he scored. So there's good signs. That's what I mean. There's good young players. There are skills. He's coming on the game. Johnson, we all know what he can produce. And it just needs that manager to kind of get that out of him. And yeah. if you look at Kenny's track record as well, he managed Dunfermline. He managed in the League yeah, of Ireland. It wasn't, really, that's right. it wasn't really, for me, an appointment that got anyone excited. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like an appointment. Wow, they're going to make a statement. They're going to do this. The, the thing with the North is they went back to Michael O'Neill, who was being there, done that. Essentially what we've done with Brendan Rodgers, but hopefully we experience more success than they're doing at the minute. The, the, the North and the South to me are completely identical. They're both bang average football teams that aren't really doing much. And I know sometimes you get the odd, you get into a tournament, but they end up getting slapped and they get put back out of it again. And I, I know with the North to still play, play players like Josh McGuinness, Connor Washington, and now McGinn, he's playing in the Irish League over here. He still gets caps. Connor McMinimum, he plays for St. Mern, but he was playing semi-professional football last year. So, Again, with the North, there's a lot of players who are still part-time and they're calling up in the Irish League and, and things like that. And the quality for me doesn't isn't quite there, which is why I said with Scotland, it's took them years to develop that type, type of team. Playing the Premier League, you know I mean, week in, week out, Billy Gilmore, what an excellent footballer. The North and South don't have them individual players with quality that can make a difference to a game. Maybe it will come in years to come, but I think that's where Scotland are a wee bit head and shoulders above the rest of the home nations. Yeah, I would mean, certainly agree with that at the moment, mate. Obviously, Wales have had their, their time in the sun recently as well, and obviously they had a great result last night against Croatia, so they, they do still have an outside chance of qualifying. But obviously, in the, the last few years of the, the kind of the last kind of the swan song of Gareth Bale's career, you know, they've managed to qualify for a couple of Euros and a, a World Cup. So, so fair play um, to them as well. As I say, it's always sort of do well, apart from the obvious one. I do like to quite like to see the. the Home nations doing doing well, you know. But um... I think I think as well, Anthony. Sorry to cut you off there, no, Alistair no. Jack. Lenny for Ireland. Now that, that could be a good shout. Lenny's had a stint at, at club management and things like that. The thing with Lenny, regardless of what you say, you can you can see that he sets up his teams to play a system, and he can change it within that. That the play certain teams over playing possession based football, defend counter, or they have to be the ones on top. I think Lenny would be great for that job. And I know Alistair Jack pointed out to me the trap of Tony get Ireland to the Euros, but I was more referencing the fact that. It was the football they played to get there. It's not mm-hmm. exciting. It's not, do you know what I mean? Everyone's trying to play this expansive football. And for me, the Republic right now have the players that do it, but Kenny's not getting the best out of them. 
they're a young bunch, wee bits of experience like uh, Shane Duffy and all still in the team. And I think it's a, a team for me that needs an experienced coach to get the best out of them. And I don't think Kenny for me is doing that. Yeah, that's um, that's fair play, mate. In terms of the, the sort of Scotland um, campaign, Stephen, we're not going to go over it um, too much. But it's just by the fact that obviously, like we were discussing earlier, five wins out of five. Um, first match, kind of, we would, well, it was traditionally in, in years gone by the kind of game that Scotland would slip up in, you know, that the, the home match against the um, against the bottom seed in the group, and this time it was it was Cyprus. But we've done um, pretty well. We got the 3 0 win there, which which was great. But I think what really kind of kick started everyone's um, belief that this could be a year where they actually qualify outright without the need for a, a playoff or anything like that. And that was um, the 2 0 match against Spain, obviously. Or, well, he's famously. Um, and his wife Susan are on the, the footage of it just as the, the first goal goes in from McTominay. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, but we know that obviously Spain are a team in transition at the moment. You know, they're maybe not the team of, of what they were in the you know, 2008 to 2012 when they won the three tournaments um, successively. But, you know, you only had to look at the, 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 the over the last um, couple of games, you know, there's still some household names in there. They're always going to be they're, they're traditionally one of the big guns um, in European mm-hmm. football. But to get a win like that, I know they obviously they weren't too happy about it. Um, afterwards, you know, they, they say we don't really play football. I mean, Spaniards moaning about um, opposition players time-wasting. I mean, you know, you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't write that if you tried. But um, Scotland fully deserved the, the win that night. And um, Scott McTominay really did, you know, he took the game by the scuff of the horn. Oh, he, he definitely did. And I think, like you said, with Spain, the, the hypocritical nature of them criticising the team for sticking to a game plan and seeing, seeing that game out. That was the game where Rodri had a hissy fit, Pedro Porro had a hissy fit. All these players were not liking the way the game was going. And I think Scotland, for the most part, were on top, from what I can remember. Uh, Scott McTominay got two cracking goals. Both basically was running into the box. Sakamoni was inside the box, kind of feeding off the scraps. He was there at the right time. And I think with Scott McTominay, moving him out of the back three, it had to be done. He wasn't the centre half. He's a box-to-box midfielder. He's got energy for days. He's got he's not the most skillful, but he can run. He's got a good engine. And he gets in them right areas of the pitch. He reminds me a wee bit getting into the box. Remember like Stuart Armstrong did for us? Just arriving late, striking the ball, and sometimes ends up in the back of that. To get two that night was fantastic for him. And I also believe in one of the United games, he saved them, didn't he? Um, got yeah. two in injury time. So... He has a knack of it. Like, this isn't a one-off for Scott McTominay. This is his kind of niece, what he does for the team. And you have to look around. Like you said, Spain aren't household no more. It's not like Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Albi. can rhyme off that team for days. That team's gone. Maybe Busquets is still around and players of that kind of ilk. But they're building again. Gavi, Pedri, um, Anzu Fati, who's on loan at Brighton. These are all young, up-and-coming superstars. And Spain will be the top dogs again sometime soon they're not going to be down forever and that, not saying they're down like you said they're picking up results and they're going to qualify with Scotland to go to Germany but I mean as a Celtic podcast to bring it back to Celtic for a minute it was almost reminiscent of getting them big results in Europe wasn't it the crowd going wild the support's on you the players are all pumped up they're getting stuck in Porteous was getting stuck in and by the way just saying it we should have signed Ram Porteous in my opinion He's 100% you, 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 I think you're, you make a point, Stephen, because obviously when previously you mentioned there um, Aaron Hickey as well. Now, and I have to say, Hickey, yeah. as much as they're, um, for as much as I would always argue, agree that they were they were talented players, I think 
they ha- I was never ever totally convinced that they that they maybe would have shined in a, a Celtic shirt. Of I know obviously Hickey was on our books. He then went away to Hearts. We made a couple of bids for him. If reports are he'd be believed, and um, you know Hearts weren't willing to sell back, which is you know their gift, I suppose. But mm. um, I do have to say, certainly under Steve Clark, I think that Ryan Porteous really has come onto a game. I think he's matured. Um, to cut out some of the nonsense um, that we definitely have. Um, but, you know, when he was still <laughs> playing for Hibs week in, week out, <laughs> he did some. When did that. I say that? Um, when did I say that? At some point. In the, the John Sooner. Uh, I think we might have done there. We know what is your, is your thing. Um, well, Porteous. Well, I think he's really showed his versatility. He can play, like you say, on the left or on the right, and you can still feel equally comfortable with him, with him doing both. Um, but yeah, just going back, I was actually going to try and bring that up a, a little bit just for the fact that, like you say, Scotland are perhaps a little bit ahead of their, their, their curve on, you know, their you know progression, learning curve, whatever this kind of term you want to, to play it. And, you know, I remember Euro 2016, Scotland was the only home nation not there. It was the sort of start of this journey that we're on. Is that France? Are we hopeful that um, that was in France? Um, yeah. Are, are yeah. we hopeful, certainly, then that? Not that we could learn from it, we could take a bit of inspiration from it that, you know, if we keep doing what we're doing, hopefully Celtic themselves can end up having the same kind of fortunes that Scotland have. Like you say, it's all about that home for them, but you do have to pick up points away from home as well. I mean, uh, do you want me honest answer? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, for me, that there's Palm Keep going, San Fran, they'll give another rant out of Stephen. Like, I'm not going to, I'm in the Zen tonight, in the Zen. But I know I get what you're saying. I think with Scotland, what what a point to at the start of the podcast is their squad at the minute. It's quality playing in the top leagues with Celtic. I mean, the home form is one thing that I think, for from our point of view, I think from every supporter on the team, is abysmal. <laughs> There's no other word to describe it for me. I think it's what one win in like ten years or whatever. I know people say it's like eight or nine games, but still, I mean, if you transferred that back before 2010, we were beating teams drawing with teams, no one was coming to us getting an easy victory. And if you look at the Lazio game, it's just lapses of concentration. It's just wee things, the fine margins that we all talk about. And look, I, I don't like saying learning, Anthony. I feel like every time we say... I know, game, okay. we're, when we're, I was getting ready to ask, ask the question, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm laying them up here. I don't like saying we're learning. It's like, how many times can you go to the doctors and take a needle in your arm and learn from the pain? It's, it's going to be the same thing every time you go to the doctors. You're going to hear getting a needle. And it's like, Celtic year in, year out. It feels like, as I said before, we're having the same conversation. How will we do next year? This is a learning experience. Players change. Management teams change. And then it's a cycle going, well, learn again for next year. Players leave again. And it's like, where, where do you draw the line being like learning and just being a bit shit? Like, do, do you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's the, the honest thing here. I don't think, as I said before, we're not a Champions League club. We're a Europa League club, in my opinion. I don't think we've strengthened enough to be considered a Thomas League club. Obviously, in our minds, we're the greatest club in the world, and it'll always be like that in my mind. But being realistic about it, if we're looking to challenge in, in Europe in some shape or form, the home form, like you said, is the staple. Scotland have built on that. They've made Hamden a fortress. And, I mean, Spain going there, regardless of the personnel, you still have players who have quality. Like, I mean, these players are playing for Barcelona, Real Madrid, all them teams in, in Spain. It's no easy task. The money is to beat them. And I look at Lazio, I look at Farnod, I'm like, Again, it's like Shakhtar Donetsk, them two games against them. It's missed, opportuni- missed opportunities. And 
Look, it's ahead in the curve, it's fair enough for Scalton, because they're a national team. They obviously take longer to progress and develop because they only get Steve Clark every so often. But the way I look at it is, there's no excuses for us, Celtic, not to be doing better in Europe. And I, I don't, look, we can sit and go, the Athletico games are coming up, we'll do better, we'll pick up a point, it'll be fantastic. But at the end of the day, for me, Europe's done. I don't see us getting third place. I don't, I, and I'll be out with Whipper again, and we'll be saying after the, the Champions League's over, do you think we'll do better next year? We'll get our group, or we're going to beat this team, we could challenge this team, and then it'll be the same outcome year in, year out. Something has to change, hopefully. And it's not me ranting, or it's not me giving off, or it's not me disagreeing with people. I take people's opinions fallibly, and I think you know that as well. And I want to hear yours back, because I don't want you to move on to a different time. I want to hear what you want to say back. And I, I think, Absolutely. I think for me, to say we should do better, it shouldn't be an issue. I think we all agree we should do better. We should all agree. This team basically is the same nucleus as last season. And we all were saying they're going to learn and get better. So far, it hasn't happened. And yeah, I know it's a, the, the last minute of the Lazio game. Players might still have adrenaline in their system. They're emptying the box and, and stuff like that. But a wee bit of experience, just a wee bit of a, a head to go, stay where you are, clear the box, get out of danger. That's all needs to happen there. And I say naively, I do believe it is naively. We're not learning from mistakes. So it is naive. I don't understand any way to explain that. And it's just Celtic year in, year out. You're for me. We're making no impact. And every year the board are saying, I want to do this, want to do that. Rogers, when he first came in, Anthony, want to make an impact in roads in Europe again. What's the roads, by the way? Are they all closed? Are they all like, <laughs> what? we're not getting through them. There's a few cones on it. What do you think has to happen? Well, I mean, I suppose, like like you say, it sometimes sounds, almost sounds too simplistic when you actually, um, when you do say it out loud. But, what the things we've often spoke about definitely in terms of the the build up every year is and I think Ross alluded to it well in the the last podcast was about the, the those little building blocks. And I think like you say that the, the team itself, I mean I was at the game against Lazio and I mean the crowd by and large were, were absolutely, you know, brilliant. But I definitely could tell when there was if a, if a pass did go like a little bit astray, especially as the game was wearing on, you did sense the nervousness. And I think the players are feeding off that um, a bit as well because you can, you know, I think they're eager to get, I'm not saying we'll get one win out of the way and then it'll, you know, everyone will fall into place. Absolutely not. No, I know but that, man. I, I do think that getting some points on the board or like you say, trying to change those defeats perhaps into draws or draws yep. into victories. And I think definitely it'll be a big weight off the shoulders when they eventually do get that that first win, certainly back at home. Or even, you know, you know, it's going to be very difficult against Atletico, we're not daft. But then again... Are we away first or home first? Uh, no, home first um, home next first. week, actually. Um, so maybe the, the fact that we did play really well against Lazio and then we're straight back in at home, I'm hopeful that we can build on the good points from that. Having said that, Atletico are a completely different um, animal. Griezmann, and, the and, pie. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't like Griezmann's comments about Celtic at the start of the season, so I'm like, I really hope... What did he say? He, he said something along the lines of... I can't remember what it was, what the full, the full subject matter was, but I think it was something in terms of how winning the European Cup... I don't know if it was maybe actually a diss against Man City or something, but he, he said winning the European Cup isn't a, a big thing. 
Really? And then he says, because even Celtic have one. Wow. And, it was like, like a, and I'm just like, when we actually drew them in the in the, in the tournament, I thought, God, I hope somebody puts him in row Z first. Of all. If Liam Skills does another one of the Thunder and Tackles, <laughs> I'd give him a standard ovation. But yeah, the, the points you do make are based on, you know, by all counts, facts, mate, because we, we do have to start doing that. We do have to start. Hopefully. I think this is a good point from Strangers nice of the Doctor. Too nice in Europe. Do you not think that? I really, I believe when I see teams up against us, showing some of the teams a bit too much respect. Do you think too much respect? Too much respect. Yeah, that could be a point. I think as well, though, it comes across with some of it, like we were saying, some of these mental blocks that we seem to have had. Even though, like you say, some of the times it's been it's been different teams, different managers. But I think the longer this record goes on, the more. The, the more it can build up and it can play on the players' minds. As I said, we know that one one result's not going to change everything by and large, but I definitely hope, I mean, that we, we spoke about that at the start of the season, you know, what would the progress be? I said, definitely, if we can get that one, get mm-hmm. some points on the board, and if we can get to the last, you know, match night six, and it's still been in our hands to play for one way or the other, whether that be going down to Europa League or, you know, I know in, a, in an ideal world, you'd be trying to get through to the knockout phase of the tournament you're in but we, we, I think we all appreciate it's always going to be difficult but it, it can be frustrating sometimes when you're when you're putting in the, the hard graft and, and not getting the, the rewards but I do think but, that we do have to you know I, I would I would be absolutely gutted consider, like, as I think Ross summed it up well in the, the previous weeks it's not that we're turning up in every game now and you know, we've not had a, a big heavy doing off a of likes of a PSG or that, but we, we had sort of had for a couple of years. It's almost like everything's going in the right direction, but we're not getting over that that big hurdle actually getting a win or being in contention on, on the last game. And that's what we need to do. But here's the thing, Anthony, right? Porteous coin wizard. Porteous has been playing incredibly well for Scotland. We all can't deny that. But I think, like... You say there we're putting in the graft and it's difficult. Hundred percent is I get that. hundred and ten percent. But you have to look at similar teams in our position. They're still picking up wins. They're picking up draws. They're picking up points. And teams primarily like I'm not like a fucking gank all M types of teams. Look, it's only examples coming to mind. Noggin. I know I say it all the time, but I'm mean, even Porto to a lesser extent than, than all M types of clubs. Like. We're not a million miles away from us in terms of finances, in terms of wages we can offer, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of all development and things like that. And I get that it's hard and I get we have to learn and, and all this type of stuff. But at the end of the day, teams are overtaking us that shouldn't be overtaking us. And that for me is bad. Like, we, we always, like, I see when I hear now when we're joining the Champions League group, oh, the, like, when they get an ex player in the studio, just say it's Lenny or Petrov or the European Knights. At Celtic Park, they're deafening. They're so loud. That could be nine points for Celtic. And in reality, it doesn't matter no more. Yeah, because I think, I think certainly for that generation, I think they are obviously playing on the. As I say, it was as I said, I think obviously those those guys, big nights in Europe came sort of pre Abramovich kind of era, where I, I do think mm. it's you know the the, the financial. Like you say, there are teams, of course, that are, are more in our market. But in terms of, I think that the competition felt more like a genuine competition back then, if, yeah. if that makes sense in terms of, of course, you had your Real Madrid, your Man United, teams like that. And that this is the point. 
But um, top players don't want to play in SPL. That's the big issue yeah. as well, isn't it? That's it. The TV deal now, as, as I always said, when you looked at, the, at that team that were brought in, you know, six million pound back in the day got you Chris Sutton, who you know, yes, he had a poor season at Chelsea, but he was still a Premier League winner, a top-rated striker. Um, got you six million quid, got you Neil Lennon, who was a you know Premier League player. Three, four million for the likes of Alan Thompson because of the the, way, the the TV deal now is so vastly different compared to what it was um, that you used to always have United, Liverpool, Arsenal, um, and probably just for in terms of location the other London teams. Mm. But apart from that, Celtic Rangers more than competed with the other. I mean, Ronald De Boer went for Barcelona to Rangers. We obviously signed a lot of big Premier League players. Tony Andrews went to Rangers as well. I was going to say the two of them went as well. But what what I mean by that is Celtic Rangers were seen as in that that environment. Whereas now, you know, perfect, perfect mirror example, Brendan Rodgers left Celtic to go to Leicester City 20 years before that. Martin O'Neill left Leicester to come to Celtic, so that that just mm-hmm. shows how the how it's changed. But I would say, yeah, that, like considering that there are there are teams that have had, had better results, then that is where your point for me does stand up. I say I think there there has been games that have, I mean, you know, the likes of Barcelona and a PSG and stuff. You're always always going to be up against it in, in, in nights like that. But there are other teams. That are perhaps on their level that maybe it is too nice, maybe it is a bit too much respect, maybe it's a whole mixture of a whole range of things. But if we can get back to at least being able to put up, you know, get some points on the board at home, and that can go marry on to the um, away matches as well. But I wish I had a, I'm sure we all do, I wish we had a magic potion to do it. But um, whether or not we do remains to be seen, mate. But I'm sure we'll have a. Uh, obviously, it's next week we're at, we're at home to Atletico, so it'd be, it'd, it'd be great if we can get rid of it as of next week. I'm but. saying one thing. I'm say, I'm not coming on the Friday podcast. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm not coming on the Friday podcast. Not that night. Unless we win, of course. Unless we win. I'll be on. I'll be on. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, probably a, a good thing is we can bring this up as well. I'm not wanting to speak too much about the Spain-Scotland game for last week because, you know, apart from the incident itself, you know, it wasn't a, a game packed with, with too many flashpoints, except I would say overall, Stephen, and it's something that we can bring into the, the club element as well, was not only the, the, the VAR decision, and we've seen again last night, them taking five minutes to decide whether or not Spain Spain's goal counted or not. Um, there's obviously been a, a, a massive and absolutely justifiably so um, negative reviews of the VAR mm-hmm. and the way it's been used in the Scottish Domestic League and, of course, the standard of Scottish referees. I mean, no, there is no debate to be had here. They are abysmal. The, 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 the refereeing standard in Scotland is awful. But you sometimes try and... I think sometimes we get so worked up in that sometimes that you don't actually see... And I've, I've noticed that, especially in the European games now, and obviously down south there's been the massive controversies as well, um, is it a case perhaps not even just that the, the VAR and the referees are, aren't great here? I think it's it's a lot further than that. I would argue at least in England they're trying to improve it up here. You know, mm. 
you're, you're, you're rewarded for your incompetency. But I just, and even when you look at the Scotland-Spain game last week, initially they said it was for a foul. Ten minutes later, they're changing it to offside. It's little wonder why these little theories pop up that it's just got, even if it is for offside, you can, you know, it's debatable, as Michael Stewart said, whether or not he's interfering with play. But then again, we see it last night, five minutes to make a pretty simple decision. Is VAR and the referees in general just not fit for purpose across the board? And if you agree with that, is there anything you think we can do to improve it? What, sorry, my dog's going mad on the background here. But one, one of the first, one of the worst things that come out of far this season is when Mike Dean, the retired referee, went on a podcast and said he didn't give the right decision to help his mate out. Mm-hmm. That for me is insane. That, that had an effect on a live football match, and all he thought about was protecting his friend, the referee, instead of making the right call for the better of the game. There's one point already. That they can influence a game making decision like that. Look, I don't know what decision it was primarily, but he said on the podcast, I can't remember what flashpoint it was or what involved, but the fact that he didn't give the right call to protect the friend, I think is absolutely insane. Yeah, Another it issue. Was, um, it was it, the match, in, it was um, Chelsea Tottenham last year. I don't know if you remember, it was the right? one where Conte and um, Thomas Tuchel would have been Chelsea manager at the time. They had a bit of a, a spat on the touchline mm. in full time, but I think it all came about from. Is it Kukaria? Is the Chelsea the Chelsea fullback? Yeah, Kukaria. Yeah, quite crazy haircut. Um, and the VAR quite clearly seen the um, one of the, the Tottenham players just just grabbing at his hair and pulling him right back, stopped him advancing with the ball. Um, I think that player might have already been on a booking, and the, the VAR picked up. We watched the replay about <laughs> three or four times, and then. But the player wasn't sent off, and then I think he, he either was involved in the equaliser or actually scored the equaliser. I can't remember. So somebody that quite clearly, as you say, shouldn't have been on the pitch yep. ended up having and, a direct impact on the game due to Mike Dean not doing his job. And also, I believe Mike Dean does the referee hang on Saturday sports now. And oh, I've seen yeah, a clip. I've seen a clip of Paul Merson. I've seen a clip of Paul Merson going through him. It looked like he was wanting to punch his face, and I don't actually blame him to be honest. Not advocating any violence here, but he's a twat. <laughs> But, I mean, as well as that, you've got the multiple issues up here. Remember the whole Fur Park incident when the camera was at the dugout instead of looking at the goal, which should have been allowed. You've got the issue. I know it's a running joke now, but Rangers having conceded a home penalty kick in about 400 years, even with VAR. Connor Goldson, the second goalkeeper. I mean, you look across here at the Scotland game, there was like leaked footage of the referee getting it for offside and it wasn't seen on TV cameras and, and things like that. And, it's just, it's mind-boggling. I think to go back to Postacolo, he said it. Technology's not ready for the game. It's not ready. We were all there to believe that things were being changed, that things would get better. And the one big issue as well for me as well, every country has different rules to VAR. It should be a, one rule across the board, in, interpreted the same, because in Europe it's different to the SPL. SPL is different to the EPL. EPL is different than the Serie A. It should be a blanket rule across all the organisations and all the, the football association bodies. Then maybe you get some clarification and you get a structure to the actual development of the game. I think that referees, regardless of what we believe, when it's an on-field decision that can affect the game, we should hear the audio. Yeah. So there's no there, there's transparency. I think the Liverpool game with the Jada, was it Jada scored the goal? Diego Jada? Or a cup. 
Is that the, Fini- just, the, just the game a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Ah, what do you call him? The winger. Aye, whatever. I can't remember his name. It was a goal, but the ref forgave him for offside or something. Wasn't yeah. it something like that? So, and no, the, what the, happened was he was onside, scored hmm. a perfectly good goal, but it was but it was ruled offside. But it was about I think there was two Tottenham players playing him on. But the, yeah, the, the, Diaz. Diaz, yeah. But the um, the VAR didn't know what it was confirming, so it said check complete, but they didn't actually know what they were confirming. So they agreed with the on-field decision that was mm. blatantly wrong. Um, it, it couldn't have that, been more of a farce if it tried. There's multiple issues, like, do you know what I mean? And the fact that the communication isn't clear enough to the referee, and then it's it's all mis, misconstrued, decisions are being made that's wrong, and it's not ready. I mean, we've got the wish version. <laughs> Every other organization has the, the best they can get, the, the, the equipment, the cameras, and the fancy lines. And even look at the, the Gold Ranger scored against the the, Cyp- the Cypress team, mm-hmm. uh, Limassol. The, the line, did you see the line that drew? Yeah. It was like <laughs> diagonal, diagonal. So like the, the VAR is not fit for purpose. The people who's run it's not fit for purpose. I think that... The, Having relationships with certain people in the referee or VAR room really makes it difficult because, like Mike Ding, he pussied out of giving the right call because he wanted to protect his mate. You shouldn't think about that when it's a football game being played. Like you said, Cucurello was on the pitch and the fact that the game later on in the match. So there's multiple issues. And I'm pretty sure in Spain and every other league, they're having it. It should be took out of the game. And yes, we would go back to the same old shit that we have. But to be fair, our game's not get any better. It's probably at worse. Like the referees have somehow got worse, and that that's inc- that's incredible to say. Like, you know what I mean? there's some idiot in a van outside New Douglas Park in Hamilton, just watching TV screens, not knowing what he's doing, and it, it's baffling. And it's a bit it's a bit embarrassing. And even look at the I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. I do apologize, but even look at the the FIFA Club World Cup. They're introducing a new offside rule for VAR. It's going to be tried there. I was like, why are you not doing that across all the game? It just confuses everything. Have it all in one. Have it together. And then it's like saying the handball rule, oh, we'll change it for this country, but do it different for that country. It doesn't make any sense. Keep it the same. And see all that interpretation of the game. No, if it's a rule in the game, it's either yes or no. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. You have to make the right call because these games can lead to someone winning a championship, someone being relegated losing out millions of pounds of money, all that type of stuff. So there are scenarios you have to take into consideration. The referee should be punished. And no hard web. He's not really sh- sh- uh, sacking people. I know he's been doing that quite a lot recently, getting rid of people. But like you said, they get rewarded rewarded up here for being incompetent. They get cases of wine, beer, lavished upon. Do you know what I mean? Going to supporters clubs, wearing certain teams' colours. They get away with it because it's allowed. Well, you perfect example, example. Um, a few weeks back. Obviously, there was the terrible call in the League Cup between Rangers and Livingston when Rangers had a perfectly, um, had a, it was as clear a foul as you'll ever see. Um, but the VAR didn't get involved. Colm didn't award it on the pitch. Was that the goal, Seymour? Yeah. He uh, pushed him? Now, it was, a, it was so bad that you would at least even think down in England there'd be repercussions for it. Wally Collins' re- reward for that was to get to do the Celtic game that weekend. You know, it's... It, 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 need I say more? Do you think it's fit for purpose? No. 
not even remotely. I'm, I'm, I admit that I'm coming from from a biased point of view because I never wanted it in the first place. I, I, I said from the start, I went, all this will do is highlight how incompetent they are, but they won't, there won't be any consequence for it. So we're seeing it, you know, week in, week out, mm -hmm. awful VAR decisions, but not, nothing's, it's not improved in the last year. We're coming up to the year anniversary of it being introduced in Scotland. And the standards haven't improved. It's the decision making, they're still not making the correct decisions on a consistent basis. And the length of time it takes to make certain decisions hasn't got any quicker either. So, you know, I, we're a year down the line and we're no better forward than you, as we say, it's been three, four years down in England now. Mm. And it's still the same farce. It, you know, you listen to the, you know, I listen to the um, the game podcast, which is, um, you know, the, the journalist, the sports journalist for the Times. And every Monday, the opening subject, more or less, is what about that decision for VAR at the weekend? So it's, I think it's across the board. I think Big Ange is spot on. It says it's not, this isn't a game that's fit for, or if, no. um, for you know, for, for the technology. Um, and even if it was, we don't have, referees at a high enough standard to implement it properly. So, but I think it's, um, this hasn't been our first VAR rant, mate. I don't think it's going to be our last by any stretch ah, of the imagination. No chance. No chance, mate. Just before we kind of go, because I know you've got a wee, uh, a wee kind of angle, a wee debate on at the end, but I just thought I'd bring it back to the international, but just before we, we finish up, and it's just a couple of things. First of all, a wee appreciation post for, for Steve Clark and, and the job he's doing, and I just think as well, you know, he, he, tape, he, he took over a Scotland side literally at rock bottom. That was, you know, Andy Robertson's own thoughts on it after a, a, a I think it was to Kazakhstan um, before Alex McLeish was thankfully removed to the position for a second time. And then um, we got a proper manager in there um, that done it at a very at a high level down in the Premier League. And by his own admission, I mean, he, he is not Jurgen Klopp in terms of uh, charisma. You know, he's he is the typical... Dyer Scott, but he has perhaps in a similar way to Gareth Southgate, he's made a group of talented players want mm -hmm. to come and play for the national team. You, it's you very rarely now get these, um, you know, call-offs. You know, but you know, weeks, once, what the minute they get called up, suddenly somebody's got a tight hamstring and anything like that, which we were used to under the likes of, you know, the reigns of George Budley um, and Craig Levine, yeah. etc. Guys now, the top, even the top players want to be in that squad every time um, they're called up. And although it often, you know, football and football management, it, it is a lot harder than what people make it out to be. But it does do the same. It puts, it doesn't do square pegs and round holes or anything like that. He's got a system. He, he's got the players and he's made a system that fits that. We have one striker, you know, it generally floats between Lyndon Dykes or Shea Adams, depending on the opposition. You know, you've got your, your, your Cal McGregor, that, that and there, Andy Robertson, Kieran Tierney, usually in. Obviously, traditionally, we had Craig Gordon up until his injury mm -hmm. last year. Angus Guns came in there and done really well. He just seems to do the, the simple things effectively. And when you look at from where he took over, qualified for back-to-back -back Euros, we were... I'd say that we had a great qualifying campaign in the World Cup. I think just the world was against us that night. You know, the, the, I, I don't think any team in the world could have stopped Ukraine that night. That was a, mm. a night where those 11 players, you know, it, it was, you know, do or die for them. And um, 
it was just one of those things. We, know, we would have loved to have went to the World Cup, but it wasn't to be. But he's he's but he's came, but he's bounced back from that by qualifying um, outright um, five game five wins for for five games, and then also ah great quote as well, San Fran. But also as well, he's got us into the the Group A selection of the the Nations League. You know that you know the inter year um, tournament as well that helps you know with qualifying positions for. For the qualifying campaign the year later, so you know by by any measurable distance he's been a success in the in the Scotland job. So just mm-hmm. your thoughts on that, Stephen. But also as well, what do you think success looks as looks like for Scotland at the tournament next year? I mean, first of all, with Steve Clark, I've been a fan of Steve Clark for years, and I think I've said it before in this podcast. Before Rogers came the first time, I actually wanted Steve Clark in as manager. Because of what he was doing, I think it was West Brom at the time. He got them up to seventh place or eighth place in the, the English Premier League. I think that's our highest ever uh, finish. And look at them now they're in the championship. And the one thing about Steve Clark, he brings the, his style everywhere he goes. Hard to beat on the counter. Hard to beat on the counter. We've seen it with Kamarnik. Maybe it took him a couple of months, but he made them into a good team in the SPL. They were troubling us with the plastic pits. They were troubling them as well, and they kind of bought into that. They were filling their stadium out periodically, obviously, but. More fans are coming in to watch this team develop. And again, that's down to Steve Clark. He makes he makes the basics look simple. He breaks it down for the players. You know your role. You know what you're doing. There's no Roman tens. There's there's no false nines. There's none of this inverted wingers or inverted fullbacks. It's those straight down to basics. It's either a 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 that he usually plays with Scotland. And the players stick with it. He played that formation with Kamarnik. And he was extremely successful. He's worked under Jose Mourinho. He's worked in different clubs. He, he's been brought up around cultures that play that type. And, and he's stuck to what he's good at. And it, you look at the challenge he had as well with fitting Tierney and Robertson into the team. He managed it. Do you know I mean? Moving Hickey across. Men have been happy, but he managed it. And he's playing that role effectively. He's bringing players in like Jack Hendry, who didn't make it at Celtic, but he's making them look like a world beater on a good stage. And Ram Porteous, uh, Grant Hanley, uh, Cooper, all them types of players, and Billy Gilmore, the up-and-coming guy, with John McGinn, Cal McGray. All these players love playing for Steve Clark. I would assume he's a fantastic man-manager. Mm-hmm. He's just great one-on-one. There's no bullshit. There's no hidden agenda. He just wants you to do well for the team and do well for the country. And it's quite refreshing. Like you said, I wouldn't agree with the Gareth Southgate thing, by the way. I think he's shite. I think he's absolutely crap. I don't... I, England, to me, they should be doing far better than they actually do. But um, Steve Clark, for me, is one of them guys that looks affects us all. He doesn't look like he shows it. His demeanor is always quite like... Mm, mm, mm. But I, I'd say behind closed doors that the team absolutely love him and the coaching staff that's worked under him as well. And do you know what I mean? Fair, fair to him. I think he deserves it. He deserved that break. And I know there was talk of him about the satellite job and he talked about the whole... The, the things that come with it, his family. and Look, that's respectable. He didn't want to throw his hat into the ring. That's 100%. He's doing well for the national team, and the national team are doing well for him. And I think it's a win-win situation. And like you said, he's bounced back from, from Ukraine, and he took the Scotland on an unbelievable run. I can't remember the, the record, Anthony, unbeaten. What was the, the run they were on? Uh, so, oh, I don't actually have that record. 17 or something, was it? They went over a calendar year, I think, in the last one there without losing and then obviously they've started this year's campaign um with five wins out of five and as he said it's he, he, i really enjoyed when he said that in his comments the other night he says it's not spain beating norway that's got us into the mm. euros it's 
it's, it's Scotland. The results we've had, you know, um, yeah. he was quite bullish about that. And I think that's one of the things that the Tartan Army are, are, you know, really getting behind him as well. We'll, like you say, quiet, honest, you know, that doesn't give too much away. But I think if, um, I think if kind of pushed in that kind of direction, he's very yeah. quick to defend his, his team, which I think is great. But you I mean you look at his record in Scotland as well? Like he wasn't short of snapping at a few yard journalists, like mm, putting them in their place, that putting putting them in their place. And you, you look at his coaching staff. Is it Calver? I can't remember. What's his name? Uh, yeah, the, the he used to manage it, um, or was the assistant um, at Newcastle? Newcastle wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and Austin Stephen Reid. Yeah, Austin. Stephen Reid. Austin McPhee. Austin, Austin McPhee. Yeah, the, um, boy from Hearts as oh. well. So there's a, a whole kind of eclectic mix in there. Yeah, but it seems to all be working well, at the moment. And exactly, and you can't really say anything about that. And as long as it keeps going that direction, that's fair. Look, Scotland are going to have blips again. They're not. I, I, me personally, I don't think they'll be boom, boom, boom for years to come. I think they'll have those peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs. You just have to write it out. And hopefully, Steve Clark can, because I think he wants to stay there. And I, I don't think Scotland can really go. Look, if you don't qualify for the next tournament, you have to go. <laughs> he's quite. He's made them qualify basically for two Euro campaigns in a row, and that, that's fantastic. And. I mean, you asked me what success looks like. Fuck, I remember getting asked about Celtic in Europe, what success looks like. Jeez. I mean, <laughs> for, for me, top two qualify, don't I? Um, well, and, and, uh, depending on how the, I think the best place stud teams go through as well. Oh, it's like a playoff thing, isn't it? But I think you should take confidence from basically dominating the group of Spain, isn't it? And really, if you get put in the group with an, with an England or a France, mm-hmm. Germany, ha, be confident. I don't think there's anything to be. I mean, you're taking on Spain. We talked about them not being the force, but they will get there again. Oh, so, I mean, they've got fantastic young players coming through that system. And it, I think Scotland should go into this tournament with no fear. I think they should enjoy it. Germany, beer. Germany, beer and football. You, you wind them up. It's going to be, be a there, There'll be a few divorce papers handed out when they check the finances on the way back. Do you know what I mean? That, that's, that's what's going to happen there. But live it up. Enjoy it. Alfiedel saying whatever they say in Germany, Guten Tag, all that type of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's incredible. It's, I think it's a great achievement. And I think for the Tartan Army, it's fantastic. And like, it brings that kind of passion to the football, doesn't it? The fans, it means the most too. And as Strange Love said, they're delighted for Scotland supporters, players and staff. Well done. And that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, I, I think so. So, obviously, me and you know Ross and we've been making noises. Definitely, I mean, I know well he's he's definitely going. That's where his holidays are next year. But I mean, obviously, Euro twenty twenty, we were a little bit. Um, no, we you know we didn't have a great tournament, but obviously, just, just the whole you know stadium still weren't full and things like that, and the matches were getting played all over the continent and stuff. It was a it was a bit of a crazy tournament. I think it'll be a bit more traditional this time. One home host nation and. Um, you know the Germans will put on some show, and I think you know for, it'll just be a great, great couple of weeks. You know, for or however long, but maybe hopefully a bit longer than that, depending on how we we feature. But definitely something to look forward to uh, in the summer. Um, and uh, hey, can only going to only look forward to it. So, but that's the kind of Scotland chat over, Stephen. But just before we finish up, you came across. Actually, uh, a, oh, sorry, on you go. I want to ask you a thing. I'm going to show the photo of this for the, mm-hmm. the people watching and stuff, but what would be your ultimate five-a-side Scottish football team? Ooh, do I have a goalkeeper? 
you, you can you can do it without a goalkeeper if you want. Uh, well, I think goes Dennis Law, Kenny Dalglish straight in. Um, God, so so many. I mean, probably for my generation, you know, growing up, James McFadden was the kind of the talisman as well. And obviously, sure. that great night. Kenny Dalglish, France, McFadden. Dennis Law, so that's three midfielders, isn't it? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll take a defender, we'll, we'll do day three in midfield, take a striker and a defender, so, oh God. What about him? McStay, oh God, you got to have the maestro in there as well, don't you? He's buckling, he's buckling. That's, that's a really <laughs> tough one, mate. It's a real tough one. And we've had some great, kind of, but, you know, probably say Colin Hendry, but just for, for my generation, probably I'll, I'll maybe take Dennis Law and Dalglish out. I know they would get in most, but I'm just talking for, for you know my time on earth, as it were. They obviously they guys were before my time, so I'd probably say Colin Hendry at the back. He was a great centre half back in the day. Um, say McFadden. I, I would probably have Scotland to Scotland football team, San Fran, Scotland. <laughs> I would probably have to go with McCoy up front as well because right, you know. So- yeah, listen, he did. He always put the ball in the net. Um, to be fair, Colin, him. who have we got so far? Colin Hendry, Colin Hendry, McCoy up front, right? Um, and I would say McFadden. Uh, who else would I say? It's really, really tough. Go with what you want to go with, doesn't matter. I'll say, I'll say the three plus Law and Dalgleish because. No, they're probably the two greatest Scotland players of all time. But I, I could, could go all different ways, you know. But we've had a, we've had some decent decent teams over the years. Maybe just haven't had the rewards that we're due, you know. Hundred percent. And even like naming them players are like what mm-hmm. I, I don't want to talk about McCoy, obviously, but like Dennis Law, uh, Doug Lee, all them types of players. And unbelievable, King Canny for Celtic and all that. So I mean, still highly regarded legend at the club. And I want to bring up this picture. I think it was John sent it in. Now, look, it's just a wee bit of a, a wee bit of laugh to tie out the last five minutes here. Another, I, I, I'm going, I'm going to name a few players to you, Anthony, mm-hmm. and just give me what you you like about them or what memories you have of them, because this mm-hmm. is a big list. I won't make it difficult on you, like doing. <laughs> but you, you you look at the top one, right? Top two, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, and I think that the the, the worldwide debate is obviously who's the best, right? I know you have a well. You have a you watch United. I'm not going to say support them or not, but you watch United. Can you defy them too? You you can split them into different, but I think I think the debate settled now, especially with the fact that Argentina won the World Cup. I mean, it it didn't do it single. It wasn't quite Maradona '86. Um, I would argue, but it it wasn't far because it, it's. I don't think it's the most gifted. Um, Argentinian say I don't even think they were necessarily that great to watch at the World Cup but I think the fact that they knew they always had Messi on the park and he came up trumps time and time again in that tournament um, I think that's kind of settled that debate now that was the one thing that he didn't have and and, and you know he kind of he, was, he completed football by winning the World Cup mm. but listen you know we, we know not even just with Man United but our, our family are you know, my big sister especially, she's been over to Madrid a couple of times to watch, um, especially, you know, when Ronaldo was at his, his absolute peak over there. Amazing footballer. The, 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 of mm-hmm. course, two completely different personalities, different attributes. Is the, but different players. Different, different players. players. 
I think, to be fair, I think they were perfect for each. You couldn't imagine a Messi at Madrid in the same way I couldn't imagine Ronaldo at Barcelona, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, regardless, I mean, it's, it, there, there's people that are very much one, and that's it. Like, there's there's no debate for them. I think there's there is an argument. Obviously, the fact Ronaldo's done it in multiple different major leagues. I know Messi's. You know, it's he didn't really. PSG was a bit of a, you know, it, it wasn't really, you could tell his heart and soul wasn't in it. And I know obviously he's moved out to the MLS now, but, you know, Ronaldo's Great impact as well. Great That's impact. it, absolutely. Um, but obviously Ronaldo done it, Portugal, England, and he kept going back to Spain, he went over to Italy, won some some titles there as well. So there's, there's arguments to be made. Um, but I do think just with the fact that Messi, Obviously, done, done, done. The, the final PCs jigsaw in Qatar kind, kind of settles that. Yeah, what a five side team there: Ronnie Simpson, Billy McLean, Jinky Johnson, Bertie Old, Douglas. Wow, <laughs> and a, a team, a team that will win everything there, like in a five side tournament anyway. I, I, I think boys, you know, that would that would be uh, if the Masters <laughs> tournament was still great back then. Yes. you wouldn't even play the tournament. <laughs> but I think for me, like Messi, I always go by memories, and Messi mm-hmm. brought me some cracking memories in the Champions League. Do you remember when I used to be on, obviously, STV in Scotland, mm-hmm. like Free the Air, over here at UTV? Mm-hmm. I used to remember going to my granddad's house and watching the old Champions League game and Celtic weren't involved. And it would always be Barcelona was drawn to. Mm-hmm. And Messi just, especially, remember the finals against United and, and things yeah. like that? And it was like Messi, Eto and, and players of that nature. And just the way he manipulates the ball, mm-hmm. he doesn't, he just takes players on. He does he, he just goes through them like a maze and he just puts them in the back and that's some amazing goals and I think over in uh, America MLS I think it's like 12 goals and 11 starts for Inter Miami Inter Miami were losing before he joined neither winning every game and I think that's a testament to the impact he can still have and look Ronaldo to me it's not lost on me up there 100% him and Messi are the best two players in, in my generation in world football I always didn't like Ronaldo that much because he played for United I have a really strong dislike for Manchester United, you all know that. But again, I'm not doubting that he's a fantastic player. Just, just a, a couple world-class players to say. Just a couple more players I want to throw at you. You mentioned them. Do you have much memories of Diego Maradona? Uh, I, I've obviously got... not the, I, I can kind of remember the 94 World Cup being on the telly when my, you know, my brother would be watching it. But it was, you know, I was, I was born in 88, so I'm still young at that time. Mm. didn't really know... You, know, you just knew the rules of the game. That was about it. But obviously, read his books, watched his documentaries. I mean, my, my big brother, you know, that's, that's for him, it's Diego. There's no other question about it. And he makes a strong case. He says, you know, you, when you look at what he did with Napoli, you know. Na- yeah, time, Napoli, yeah. You know, he won them, you know, I think it was a title in a UEFA Cup, two UEFA Cups. I can't remember the, the exact. So he'd done it at, at that kind of club level. But obviously, everything he'd done in that '86 World Cup as well. Um, just a, a phenomenal player. You know, they always said that's maybe why the Argentines. He'll he's still the god even above um, Messi, just with his his passion for his country as well. Not to say that Messi hasn't. You know, we, we know Messi loves Argentina as well. But you know, the, the, I can remember watching one of the documentaries and they joked that if he hadn't been a football player, he'd have been front line on the Falklands War. You know, he was just one of the one of the types of players. But that goal, again, I know everyone always talk about the, the hand of God goal, but 
two wow. minutes later he scored probably the greatest goal ever scored um so uh but uh, for, for many of the generation maybe just a bit older than me he'll, he'll be number one undisputed and probably with yeah. good reason I think as well with Maradona, he was he was a character like, and I always oh, remember saying that when 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 the Argentine national team trained at Celtic Park, the famous picture of him and the ball boy, and that he he took time out for people. And regardless, I know he had his struggles and and things, which is fair enough. But he again, he looked like a humble human being. He came from Argentina, played with Napoli. He took I think he took them to Serie A titles and that single handedly. And like you said, he destroyed England, which everyone loves. Anybody who destroys England, and just just finishing on a player. I'm just trying to find a player who, who's played in the flesh of Celtic Park here. Now, this is the list according to GDC Media, the best 100 players in history. We'll finish on this one. Not going for the obvious that people may think. And I think you've seen this fellow in the flesh. I think we've argued against why we maybe shouldn't clap these people off the pits. But I want you to tell me about him. Andreas Iniesta. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. A couple of times. Um, well, what was he like to watch as a player? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, um, him and Xavi were, you know, obviously the, the double act at Barcelona for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm just trying to think back. Don't think he would have played the year we beat them in 04, but he definitely would have played in 2008 and then again yeah. in, in 2012. And then, you know, we played them again after that, didn't we? Um, I think God, we played them in Brendan Rogers' year as well. I think we, we mm-hmm. played them a, a, a number of Got times. Just. It, 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 he just effortless everything about him just the, the the complete football football and midfielder um as i say he was um along alongside Chavi, that brilliant double act in, in the middle of the park and i remember last year before the champions league final i think bt sports were trying to do this you know of the champions league era you know try to pick a mm. you know a, a midfield and obviously i think iniesta got in and Chavi didn't because I think they obviously had to find space for Zidane and, you know, players like that. But it was kind of like, you never really got one without the other. You know, you think of Xavi and Iniesta, that was almost like Keenan Scholes, like that kind of way. Um, just the brilliant double acts. But um, it's so fortunate to see him a few times, Stephen, but just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal player. Coin wizard, by all accounts, Iniesta is built like Graham Dapp, the snooker player. Not your typical footballer, but was a genius, couldn't get the ball off him. I have no yeah. idea who Graham Dad is, but I take it it's a, a good comment, Coin Wizard. But I mean, to be fair, again, that was just kind of the rounded off. Anthony. And I do want to point out again the prize for Stephen uh, Coulthard. It's on its way, which is a T-shirt, as you can see there, with the In The South logo on it. And look, as I said to anybody, if they're interested, if there's, if there's enough interest, we'll do a wee bulk order and things like that. I'll have a bit of fun with it. But I'm sure in the future... They'll be giving out again as prizes and things like that to get involved with the Super Six. And by the way, when club football's back, this this weekend, I, I've lost track. This weekend, yes, make sure you get involved with, with the Super Six and things like that. But Anthony, back over to you, big man, to round it off. Have you enjoyed it? Uh, absolutely, mate. It's great. I mean, and absolutely, hats off to you, by the, by the way, tonight, because obviously I knew it was... Uh, it's the international break, which a I know you're not you're a big fan of, but we've managed to get nice to get an hour's chat about you know Scotland mm. qualifying, and I know we'll be right back to your your favourite subject on Friday night because it's obviously return Champions League football. Return of the club action at the weekend, and obviously massive game at Tynecastle this weekend. So um, I'm not sure who's on on Friday, but it'll be a, it'll be a great show. I'm absolutely sure mm. about that, and. Um, I'll, uh, I'll I always like to hand over to you to do the famous farewell. But thanks again, everybody, for for tuning in. Stephen, your t-shirt will be with you soon, 
and we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks again. As Alfie says, stay well, keep safe. We'll see you on Friday. Hail, hail.